and Google Play. You can find it simply by searching Sportsblog New York Podcast, or you can go to sportsblognewyork.com, click on the podcast tab, and any of those articles will lead you in the right direction. Here on Monday morning, I got my man Alec Argento in the house. So We're going to be talking about Mets and Yankees, some first week observations, some some news breaking with Gary Sanchez going to the DL, There's Noah Syndergaard back on the hump for the Mets, a lot of stuff going on in the baseball world. We're also going to get into the Knicks, a little bit of a... Uh, I don't even know what to call it. It's just more misery coming out for the Knicks. But we'll get into that as well. And then we're going to talk about the NBA MVP and how the two leading candidates for the MVP, James Harden and Russell Westbrook, are officially going to be facing off in the first round of the playoffs. So a lot of excitement there as well. But welcome to the Sports Blog New York podcast. And if you like what you've been hearing, leave a little rating and review on iTunes and Google Play. And uh, like we said last week, if you leave a review, Alec over here will review you. So little incentive. He's going to make a little backstory. It's going to be a lot of fun, right? Yeah. Uh, we also have a little, uh, little treat for our audience members today. We are, f- we are filming this in front of our live studio audience here in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't know sports. They will not laugh. Uh, we are not funny. So continue. You heard one person woo and clap there, but that doesn't mean there's only one person. There's there may, there might be two people. <laughs> there might be three. There might be a thousand. Who knows? I don't. All right. <laughs> anyway, let's get into this stuff about the Knicks because uh, Brandon Jennings, who, if you don't know, because you stopped paying attention to the Knicks a couple weeks ago, like a lot of people did, maybe a couple months ago, Brandon Jennings is not on the Knicks, in case you didn't know that. But he had some choice words to say about his time there, which was only for half a season. So uh, I guess a Washington reporter or whoever it was asked him a question about what it was like to be in the locker room in New York throughout the trade deadline talks with. Melo's going to leave, Melo's going to stay, will he trade, uh, lift a no-trade clause, what's Phil Jackson doing? This is what Brandon Jennings said. Quote, it was like a two-week span where everybody was hitting up your phone about Melo leaving. It definitely took a toll. I think it took a toll on the team, too. Now, it's something that, obviously, as fans, we talk a lot about. Is Melo going to get traded? Is he not? What's the no-trade clause? Uh, what's going to happen with that? So we talk about it a lot, but then we assume... In the locker room, they kind of just push everything out. They put the, the blinders up. They try not to think about it. They try to just play basketball. But clearly, and especially in a city like New York, it clearly takes a toll. It Absolutely. clearly affected the team, especially with a lot of new guys on the Knicks, guys who haven't been on the Knicks for more Which than a year. Like 90% of the team. Exactly. Or it was their first year with the team. And then there was a couple of young guys, too. KP's only in his second year. I mean, a guy who's one of our... <laughs> Getting, getting more minutes than anybody else. Ron Baker's a rookie. Willie Ron Hernan Baker, Gomez is a, is a rookie. There's all these young guys, and they're impressionable. And clearly, if Brandon Jennings said it, a veteran, a guy who's been around the block in the league, if he, it's getting taken a toll on him, what do you think's happening to Porzingis? So it's kind of a sad thing, and it's just more misery to the Knicks. Well, it's, it's really sad for the younger guys, like you were saying, because you want to establish a culture of, you know... Uh, consistency and winning locker rooms and everything like that. And you start out in, in, in this chaos, it's just going to lead to, you know, future chaos. Especially someone like Brandon Jennings, who really wanted to be a Nick. Uh, and then, he you know, he wanted out immediately and couldn't wait to sign with another team. And then talk a lot of smack about the Knicks as soon as he left, too. So. And, you know, he, he's a guy, even when he was here, he was really honest to the media, and, and people love him for it. That's why people love Brandon Jennings. 
He shows his heart and sleeve on the court. He plays with uh, intensity. And he's honest with the media. He tells it how it is. And the fact that he's in Washington getting asked questions about the Knicks still also shows to me what the New York media is actually like. So, you know, you and I grew up in New York. We we're, you know, big New York sports guys. Obviously, this is a sports blog, New York podcast. Oh, sure. It's what we do. It's what we know. To us, it's normal to have media frenzies literally about anything that catches a, fr- a back page in the post of the Daily News. So to other teams, and now maybe Brandon Jennings is playing for the Wizards in D.C., which is, a, is a, obviously a popular city, but their media coverage on sports is nothing like it is in New York, and it takes a damn toll, and it's sad. They don't have the celebrity of being an athlete there. You know, that's the whole thing. It's like we always talk about the, the, the media culture over here. You have players like in baseball, Javier Vasquez, whenever, every, every time the Yankees would trade for him, he would just always be terrible. But he would kill it wherever else he would go. It's, you're hounded with questions at all times. And that's another probably an, an issue that you have with these younger guys with having these veterans that aren't able to adapt and you know they bring their own baggage when they come to this team. They're not... They're not malleable. You, you know, you're not going to be able to get them to buy into the system and everything like that. And then that causes media issues. And then, it, you, you know, you cut off your uh, nose to spite your face a little bit with that. So Right. And I think that's one of the things that is impressive about, say, like the Giants and to the Yankees to an extent. They're able to kind of balance out the outside forces of the media and what happens in closed doors. And then teams it like... It still seeps in, though. I mean, look at how many, you know, the A-Rods of the world. I mean, there was... You know, 15 years or so, however, however long he was here, where it definitely creeped into the into the locker room. Oh, of course. I mean, that's like a different situation. A-Rod's like a larger, as large of a name as, well, not, not obviously as large as the Yankees, but you know what I mean? Right. He comes with that extra uh, name brand, if mm-hmm. you will. But clearly for a team like the Knicks and, you know, sometimes the Mets, obviously the Jets, this is a true struggle for the media to actually take a toll on the team and the coach and the GM and the owner. And... Uh, I just don't see it changing. Now, I talked to my friend, uh, friend of the podcast, actually, Joe Trezor, who covers the Mets for MLB.com. Obviously, he does some Yankee stuff as well. But before he was for MLB.com, he worked for, uh, I believe, the St. Louis Dispatch, and he was doing a lot of Cardinals games. He told me about the differences between what Terry Collins goes through on a day-to-day basis and what Mike Matheny goes through on a day-to-day basis, and it was absurd. I don't know how true that is, though. St. Louis, like... Lives and breathes baseball. Over I mean, are you, I, the, I'll tell you exactly what he told me. He said that for Terry Collins, every single day, he has to go into a press room with you know, 10, 15, sometimes up to 25 different reporters in his, not in his face, but in the room, asking him questions on a daily basis about the lineup, about this, about who, where Noah Syndergaard went, who he went with the, to the Knicks game with. Like all that stuff Terry's getting asked about, you right? Want, you want to talk about that a little bit, though? How she was a smoke? Oh, she was she was great. What would you give her out of ten? Because like you know, we're guys. We talk about that kind of stuff. I would give her a ten. She was she was great. Nice. I heard nice, she's nice. actually a broadcast journalist major in Boston University, so maybe she should call on the podcast. Wow, so she's probably like unemployed, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Not not for long. If she's dating <laughs> Syndergaard, she's got a little connect. Yeah, she's, she's gonna, gonna that's get gonna, somewhere. You put that on your resume, I guess. I don't know. Literally, that's right? gonna get you a job. Post one Instagram pic, and everybody <laughs> want you know is gonna that's want true. that. That's All true. those services. Anyway. That's the problem with these millennials, Pete. Yeah. Just, I'm kidding. Always taking pictures, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, what, were, what were we talking about? Um, Terry Collins, Mike right. Bikini. So he said... Why don't you keep it on? You 20, know, keep people, it on 20 people would be in the press room with Terry Collins asking him questions. When Mike Matheny does his daily press presser, two to five different reporters in the dugout. He said he would sit in the dugout with like the A, B, C, uh, B writers for the couple different papers... And that's it. Five people or less 
in the dugout, sitting with Mike Matheny, asking him questions. He said, if, for example, he said that if Cespedes has a bet, actually, he's a different animal because his English isn't phenomenal. But By the way, you know, what, a, what a gambit that the, all these like foreign players have. They speak English just fine, but they get to go through these translators so they can never get directly quoted. It always says, sit through a translator. They Tanaka and, and Gary Sanchez have direct conversations between them every every time I, they're they're uh, paired up and they just get to get get to get away with it with the media. Well, honestly, good for them. Like, who cares? That's awesome. You know what I mean? <laughs> but so Cespedes was a bad example. But say uh, when David Wright's playing, right? Like, say he has a bad game or two, he is unable to escape the media after a game. He said in St. Louis, Yadier Molina has a bad game. It is super easy for him to do his thing low-key in the locker room and be out of there without being questioned. He said it's a completely different animal. And that's a place like St. Louis where, like you said, baseball rules St. Louis, basically. The Cardinals are an all-time franchise. Everybody knows them. They're they're pretty high-key amongst MLB fans. Yet, compared to the Mets and Yankees in the New York media market, it's a difference of 20 people sometimes in a press room versus five people in a dugout, which is much more relaxed. Mike Matheny can control the narrative a little bit more. Not as many things leak out. Which it is really kind takes of wild. Toll. Which is kind of wild, though. Sorry to cut you off, but it's just, you know, that Mike Matheny is the direct uh, uh, succeeding, whatever the uh, next guy in line after Tony La Russa, who yeah. is St. Louis royalty. Got away with whatever he wanted for, you know, decades. Um, and I would assume that he, Matheny, would have a short leash over there. I'm, I'm just shocked that they, they let him just grow over there without any media scrutiny, like, at all, apparently. That's what it seems like. Well, I think the the, over, the overarching point here is that the media scrutiny in different places is just different than media scrutiny But I can't imagine here. what it's like in, like, a place, I don't know, San Diego. When you know what I mean? What, what about cold like Minnesota? Oh, cold like a Sprite soda. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you think, what do you think, uh, uh, the co- who's the coach of the Timberwolves? Uh, Tom Thibodeau. Like Tom Thibodeau. I I took a brain fart for a second. I figured it out. Tom Thibodeau, even for what he probably went through in Chicago, what he gets in Minnesota is probably nothing. Like, you got two beat reporters coming to ask him questions like after a game. I'm sure I'm obviously exaggerating. People in Minnesota, I don't want to offend anybody, but... We have a big audience in Minnesota, so that's probably you know a fair thing to say. Uh, they, you, what, about, what about the Irish? Yeah, it's a weird stat that we have. <laughs> there's, there's some Irish listeners on here. That's I love thing. it. And still, I'm... I'm Big welcome to the to the Irish listeners out there. Tell your friends. Hit us up on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Hit us up on Twitter at Sportblog NYC if you're listening from Ireland. Maybe it's someone studying abroad and they're actually just New York and they're they're joshing us. His name but, is, his name is Dan. Hi Dan, how you doing? <laughs> hey hi how you duck? <laughs> well, last week we had uh, Mike Palmisano on, right? His name is Mike Palmisano, and he starts to do an Irish accent. So I'm sure those Irishmen love nothing more than to hear a nice. Nice Italian try to... You're telling me Mutz did an Irish accent and yeah. they weren't offended? The man's <laughs> nickname is Mutz and he's trying to do a top of the morning to you. Th- thanks for the... Im- I, you know, I, I, I fancy myself a pretty good Yankee guy and uh, you just decided to not throw the invite my way for that Yankees podcast. That was kind of chill. I feel like, you know, you and I have the, the Monday morning and, and we just absolutely crush it every Monday. What if I want the upwards mobility of this podcast to grow in the ranks, you know? Maybe that's not up to you. What if I want it to be Petey and Alec in the morning? Well, maybe that's a good idea. Petey and Alec. Can you, can you keep saying? Sports Radio 6. Oh, that, I don't want to do my <laughs> <the> man dog. <laughs> yeah, all right. I'm glad you stopped saying. Uh, but we're going to get more into the Mets and the Yankees. You, you, you fancy yourself a Yankee guy. So we're going to talk a lot about the Yankees. Uh, not exactly the start Yankee fans were hoping for. But before we get into that, I just want to remind you, this is Sports Blog New York Podcast. I'm Peter Kennedy, joined here with Alec Argento. So, uh, leave a rating and review on iTunes and Google Play. 
And if you leave a review, Alec over here will review you. And he'll thank you for that time you helped him pass kidney stones. <laughs> but uh, Gary, There's many, many times. There's ma- all, all, three, all three times. <laughs> that week. That, that one month where Alec had kidney stones. <clears throat> you were there for him, and we appreciate that. We really do. We really do. But Gary Sanchez doesn't have kidney stones, but he is hurt. He might. Uh, well, I guess we are not privy to that information, right? But he's hurt. And to asking a Yankee fan, how does that make you feel? <laughs> I, I, I read this article. I think it was Andrew Marshand on the, on ESPN. He's a he's a quack. Uh, he was saying how this means that you can't put stock in the rebuilding phase because Gary Sanchez is on the ten day DL. It's on the ten day DL. He will be back most likely within a week and a half. Uh, he, you're gonna have injuries. It's a 162 game season. He's not in mid season form yet. He's a catcher. Catchers get hurt. Happens all the time. Not worried about it. A lot of things I am worried about with the Yankees. Wait, wait, before you move on to the other stuff, right? So Gary Sanchez, though, I think the unfortunate thing for me is that he had a slow start for game one and two, and then he hit a home run, and he started swinging a little better, and then he goes down. Like, does that that bother you? Monster down. He hit a monster down. Your boy Aaron Judge hit a monster down on Sunday, too. All I wanted to do is make contact, because if he makes contact, that ball is going to take someone's head off. Aaron Judge. We'll, we'll back to Gary Sanchez. Wait, also, speaking of Aaron Judge, uh, made me think of Ronald Torres. I, I love that he's number 74. He Dude. literally looks like he's a someone's son who, like, they let get in that bat in it's spring training. Exactly. Like, he's he like a bat boy. Especially because, like, the Yankees don't have names on their jerseys, and he's number 74. He looks like somebody who's just playing in the After spring. 99, it's like a celebrity game. Like, that's what it is. Like, a celebrity. 99 with Aaron Judge and then 74 with Therese. Wait, by the way, how about Therese leading the team in RBIs right now? That can't be a good sign, right? Nah, you know, he's just, uh, you just know he's going to cool off. Like, his ceiling isn't very high. I- I'll tell you, I think he could be a good starter in, like, a National League team. Like, you know how, I don't know if you remember Jan Harris Solarte. What do you think? The National League is better than me? Be- like, I think the American League is better I than th- you? I th- Be- than me? I do think the American <laughs> League is better than everyone, uh, especially you. I think the American League is so much more fun and, and like a real you, – you, you go to the National League, you're going to hit at least like 20 points over your, your average if you're a decent hitter. Are you saying that because the pitching is worse? Like what, what is your reasoning behind that? I don't understand. Th- there's less protection in the National League lineup. So if you, if you go there, I mean uh, – I mean wait a minute. I'm, I'm having a brain fart here. There is less protection in the National League lineup because there's no DH. Right. But – Move on. I had I had a thought. I can't remember the thought. No, no you just tried to hate on the National League because de- you're I you're a, a Yankees fan League. who thinks you're better than everybody else, and no. you're trying to you know yes. hate on the Mets and the National League. And I don't I don't appreciate hating on the Mets. I was saying like the Padres. Like when Yan Harris Solarte went to the Padres, he was in the Yankees minor leagues for like eight years, and he came up and he like killed it over here. What I was trying to say was he could trade Torres. They could probably be, be like an Eduardo Nunez. Who was another guy who went to the National League and started killing it? He's an All Star. Maybe they the just Giants. didn't like playing for the Yankees. I don't know. I, th- I think that they did, and they, they got traded because they were kind of trash, and they went to the National and League. And Chase Headley was great on the Padres. Melky Cabrera, another one who was just an average guy who who left here to go uh, do a National League, League team. Yeah, he was in the American League before he went. You're gonna out. hit. You're gonna hit. Easy, it's easier to hit because the stadiums are. Uh, but more hitter parts for the most part. Well, the American League, that's not true. I think American you're, you're just, the American League East is definitely a You're just park. pulling shit out of your ass. Yeah, I kind of got backed into a corner here. I didn't <laughs> expect that. That was my plan, and it, it worked. So yeah. stop hating on the National League, bro. Nah, I'm going to continue hating on the National League. Get a DH. Yeah, I, like I, Yesterday was like the, the 50th anniversary of Ron Bloomberg, the first DH. Uh, 
I have his autograph right there. Over there. Yeah, sick brag. Everyone cares about Ron Bloom. First, first DH, and then the, the American League never looked back. You know, I actually did did hear Michael Kay talk about that first DH thing, and like he was like in seventh grade or whatever, and his teacher was so nice. He he brought a TV in, and they got to watch it. That was pretty cool for him. But like, I it really bothers me that like if you think about it, there's two different leagues. Obviously, that's a thing in every sport. But no other sport do the like do the AFC and NFC don't have different rules. No, like the every, Eastern Conference and the Western Conference don't have different is, rules. Every ballpark is 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 differently shaped. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, you could say, for example, like you know, Colorado is a big hitters park. Boston's a, a hitters park mostly too. Well, it depends so, if you're lefty or righty. Yeah, but either way, so like that is variable. That's a variable on the team aspect, not the league aspect. Well, I was telling my friend Paul, who's right over here. Uh, yesterday, I was watching the Yankee game, and I I always firmly believe that. Baseball is the only sport that ha- like the, has the most home field advantage uh, because of there's just so many differences from ballpark to ball. You make your team around your ballpark. I mean, Yankees, there's a reason they always have so many lefties because that short right porch in Yankee Stadium. Yeah, like, I'm imagining, like, the like say, Madison Square Garden have, like, a, a separate little section in the, cor- right. in the right wing corner for uh, – and it was inbounds. And they had one guy who, like, shoots, like, really good from that spot. <laughs> and he just goes in, like, Steve Novak. He's going to say the Novocaine spot. <laughs> Steve Novak literally just stood over there and, like, didn't even move. Like, no one even wanted to guard him because, like, he was basically out of bounds. But he could, but he could shoot from there because they got the, pes- the pesky uh, – Pesky pole. The pesky, pesky pole. The pesky inbound. <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah. I also – can I talk about the Yankees' fifth starter for a second? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to get us back onto track with the Yankees. Yeah. And we talked about some Gary Sanchez. Greg Bird's a little banged up too. We'll throw that out there. He's got the flu. Everyone in the MLB has the flu. Yeah. Have I, you noticed that? Like I, the, I it's to. going through the Red Sox, going through the Orioles, now it's going through the Yankees. I had, I was sick from it too. I mean, I would, it, like it's just going everywhere. Run the oh, league. yeah, sir. You, the Yankees, the Red Sox. Yeah, I got them sick because I'm boys with them. Oh, word. word no big word. deal. Forgot. Not to brag. All right, yeah. So what do you know about the fifth starter for the Yankees? Well, I, I don't know if I'm sure you guys know that the, the fifth starter, they, Joe Girardi decided to not make a decision because they didn't technically need a fifth starter until um, the 16th. So what he did was have two guys who are still competing in the minor leagues for um for that fifth starter spot between Jordan Montgomery, who's been very very good since they he decided to enter the, they decided for him to enter the race, and Chad Green, what they ended up doing, excuse me, was they sent them both out to single A, to make starts to still compete. What are you finding out by making these two you seemingly MLB ready guys compete against single A talent for two weeks? You, you don't already know. Just make the decision. You want these guys to have some confidence in them. You don't want them to think that you were a last-minute decision. Uh, well, maybe that's what they were doing, getting them confidence against single-A comp. No, because it wasn't originally supposed to be sing- single-A. They wanted to have them in triple-A, but the weather hasn't been great up here. I mean, it's been really rainy. It's supposed to be nice tomorrow. Um, uh, but it's um, the weather's been horrible in the Northeast. So they, they had them go down to single-A. What are you learning that you don't already know about that decision? It's silly. It looks Joe like, Girardi's doing binder Joe Girardi again. It looks like to me they don't know, and they're literally just pushing it off until they flip a coin. But if, you, if you're paying attention, it's very clear that, especially because both of these guys are going to be pitching for the, the Yankees this year, without a doubt. There's going to be there's going to be injuries. We don't have a lot of depth, major league level depth. Hopefully, we can you know Sabathia is going to be leaving next year. Tanaka might be leaving. Pineda is definitely leaving. You're gonna. These guys are gonna be on the team anyway. Might as well give it to the guy who's performed. Jordan Montgomery has just been striking out everyone. He's a six foot six lefty who bears down. He's he's a downward slope to his pitch. Perfect for Yankee Stadium. So 
You need more lefties on the team. I just think it's really ridiculous that they don't have a fifth star. It's so I mean, silly. It makes sense that they were able to push it off, but the way they went about pushing it off seems like they just didn't have a clue. I agree with you. And and then they're carrying eight uh, relievers, which, by the way, we have no depth uh, on our reserves anymore. Um, we have we have Chris Carter, Aaron Hicks, uh, Higashiyako, whoever pronounced that the guy. The guy who came up when Gary went on the DL. Yeah, and that's it. because So we have three reserves and uh, a million relievers. that We have, like, Jason Shreve, who stinks. He's horrible. And he's just holding up a roster spot until somebody else... Till we get this, the fifth starter. So just get him on the team, or get a reserve guy like uh, Pete Cosman on the team too. Right. Well, you're you're also like you're not going to truly be able to read these young pitchers until they throw in the league. Like, no, but, but granted, they, but, you can you can do a lot of scouting while they're in AAA, even if they're in single A right now. Like, you can watch them I throw. Agree. You can really get a feel for like how they like to pitch. But you're not going to see how they face. Uh, they're able to face off in the MLB until you just throw them into the fire. And it's going to happen to one of them in two weeks anyway. Absolutely. Why not just like get them acquainted, That's maybe throw them for a bullpen inning or two, and just get his feet wet, and then well, get them in the spot. Especially because think of the level of, of, of uh, that they've been pitching against over the past year and a half. Jordan Montgomery, for example. Double A last year, triple A. Then pitch and string training, which is a mixed bag. You know, you got some 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 prospects and some, you know, MLB-ready guys. He struck out, like, Josh Donaldson or Jose Batista and uh, Evan Longoria a couple times. And now he's going to place, uh, uh, face single-A uh, guys. There's no one you have to worry about on a single-A team. They're both destroying the single-A uh, guys. And now he's going to have to go play against probably the, uh, is, I guess he's playing against the Rays in, in, the, in the Yankee Stadium, your first game. That's His nerves are going to be messed up. His, his motion's probably going to be messed up. You're pitching to different qualities. And the weirdest thing to me is, like, say this guy hasn't even been in the locker room with the guys. Right. He's just been on his own. He's going to get this call-up. To me, I feel like they would be more comfortable if they were a part of the team for at least a couple days a week before they get put into the fifth starter spot. So pretty interesting stuff. It really aggravates me, to be honest, yeah. I can understand why Yankee fans are frustrated by it, but the only thing that's real negative for me out of it is that it just seems like they don't know what they want to do. They don't have a direction, and that's unfortunate. Either way, I think you're doing a toss-up, whatever whatever guy you pick. It's also the first. I mean, I, I, it's just know, unfortunate. Yeah, I, I, I just it's also like I don't like what Joe's been doing with the lineups and everything like that. He's trying to mix and match. We're doing lefty righty, lefty righty. But then you have Jacoby Ellsbury, who's actually been hitting pretty well, but in the fifth spot, it's just silliness. He had a Aaron huge Judge, play. Aaron Judge is not. No matter how if he's struggling or not, you can't have Aaron Judge batting in in, in front of Ronald Torres. Doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. You need that guy to have some protection. It just it's it's doesn't make any sense. Well, one good thing that can come out of it is that Aaron Judge might get some good plate discipline because he worked a great walk on Sunday. Uh, and sure if he's getting pitched around, so be it. He'll take his hacks when he gets a chance. And if he gets his on base percentage up because he gets walked a lot, eh, that's not so bad either. Problem with Aaron Judge is every pitch that comes to him obviously is down and away, but. Even if it's not a good pitch, if they just hit the location, they can throw a meatball in that that, that lower right corner, and, uh, or lower yeah for him lower right corner, and it just it, he's not gonna hit it. He can't hit that. Like it's just absolutely not. So he's just gonna strike out a lot. So you guys gotta hope that they miss for a while, and then they have to adjust their their uh, their approach to him. Yeah, that's phys- a physical challenge for him yeah. to reach that that pitch. But, but, uh, what I was gonna say, I was gonna say, well, I don't want to talk about Aaron Judge anymore because he makes me sad because I want him to be really good. What's going on with the Mets? Yeah, I was gonna segue quick to get onto the Mets. I was just gonna mention that Jacoby Ellsbury had a pinch run, huge steal on Sunday, 
And I wouldn't say it was huge because then they got to walk afterwards. But they pitched around Chris Carter because he stole second. That's pretty true. much. You're right. You're and right. then he scored a, a go-ahead run. Yankees got a nice win on Sunday. But let's talk about the Mets. So I want to talk about Noah Syndergaard, who is actually pitching as we speak. Um, Three to two as we speak. Though you're listening to this podcast on Monday morning, uh, it's currently Sunday evening, and it is the bottom of the fifth in the Mets game. Mets are up 3-2. But I want to talk about Syndergaard as a pitcher kind of as a whole. Right, so he has incorporated this changeup into his arsenal this year, and in his first start, it was a huge help. Four to two. Jay Bruce just just did a monster down. Not breaking news because, like we said, this is Monday <coughs> for for all of you people out there. But Jay Bruce literally just hit a home run as we spoke. Uh, but back to Noah Syndergaard, put the changeup in his arsenal, so he now has one of the best fastballs in the league. He has a very filthy slider, and if he can continue to throw this changeup with the effect that he's had. Uh, in his first start, and so far in start number two, he now has three elite pitches, and one pitch in the changeup that takes a lot of pressure. Do you think that changeup's already elite? If if did you watch him throw it no, in the first I, game? I mean, I I, you t- I I didn't, but I, I saw what you were telling me. I, I heard what you were telling me about uh, it was like an eighty nine mile an hour fa- uh, changeup, which is a good uh, break from his ninety nine that he usually kind of averages. But was there movement to the change? Absolutely, it has like you know <coughs> like a two seam fastball runs away from lefties in, in on righties. The, the changeup that he throws just dives at righties' ankles and yeah. lefties fan at it. Uh, there's a couple – if you actually go to sportsblognewyork.com, one of our writers, James Oliver, just did a little feature on Noah Syndergaard uh, and his new pitch arsenal, and he focuses in on that changeup, and he throws a little highlight of the changeup from week one against the Braves, or start number one, I should say. It, it's truly a nasty pitch, and if he's able to control it, it's going to take pressure off his arm. I it's going to be able to, you know – help his pitch count or help at least his stressful pitch count and give him three pitches to work with that are all nasty. Well, I w- we were saying last week, like, you got to be really happy because I always thought that Noah was more of a thrower than a pitcher. Yes. Uh, and if he's working on this, because obviously the older you get, and he's, he's young, uh, the older you get, though, the more naturally velocity you lose. You're not going to be pitching 99 when you're 30, probably. Right. Most, most likely... No, it doesn't happen. Look at all those guys. Unless Justin, Justin Verlander doesn't throw that hard well, anymore. If you're a reliever, that you could probably hold on to it a little bit longer. But, oh yeah, but he's not going to be throwing that hard. So you get, he's it's good that he's learning to develop his command and, and, his, and his breaking balls now, uh, so that he can rely on that in the future. So you got to be happy with that because he's probably the only one I think out of the three that's guaranteed to stay on the Mets. I don't think you're losing Noah. For his, I think he wants to be a Met for the rest of his career. Loves the team, loves the culture. Always talks about how much he loves being a Met. And uh, he's the, he's the youngest as well. He's younger than Matt's. Oh, Matt's Matt is younger, but I'm like not even thinking. You of think Matt's. of the big three, okay. and also like Matt is on the DL right now. He I don't know when he's going to pitch. Uh, he's a, he's an afterthought. He's sitting next to David Wright gotcha. in my in my mind. Gotcha. Uh, which is pretty sad because those could be two phenomenal players. But I, anyway, how how old is David Wright? He's not as old as I think he is. Right? That's a good question. Hey, stat boy, Paul. Can you look up how old David Wright is, please? Appreciate it. This is good right now well, for all the audience members. Just yeah. Just this. This is real Francesa-esque. This is what Francesa would do. He would just ah. like make, it, make you listen to him looking up stats for like 20 minutes without 34. saying anything. 34 years old. He's only David 34 Wright. years. I knew he was younger than I thought. Why he do was. you say only 34? I feel like I feel like he's 38, 39. I feel he, like he's pushing he, 40. He's an old 34. Yeah. yeah. He's been around the block. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but yeah, that's the that's the big thing for for me as a Mets fan right now is to watch Noah Syndergaard every time he's on the mound because he's throwing flames and now able to mix in some nasty shit like it's it's impressive to watch and oh, there was a changeup right there 
We're watching it. <laughs> Again. This is, this is good for the audio. This is great radio. <laughs> but go on sportsblognewyork.com. Check out the video on that article breaking down Syndergaard's new pitch arsenal because uh, it could really do wonders for him. And if he throws the change up with success, he, there's no reason he should not be in the Cy Young contention for the National League this I, year. I think that's a pretty pick. I think a lot of people are saying he should be in the Cy Young regardless yeah. of that uh, if he develops that. But he's, if he's a... He's the three-pitch, four-pitch pitcher. He's, you know. Now, I want to ask you about a comparison, right? Oh, sure. So, so, in the article, James brought up a pitcher who was on the Yankees who he described as a thrower. Somebody who threw 99, 98, whatever, but was never able to find consistent success because he had no secondaries. Pinata? And, what? Is it Pinata? No, oh, not Pinata. Severino. No, the guy's not with the Yankees right now. Uh-huh. Nathan Nivaldi. Oh. Uh, yeah, the Yankees do this thing where they, they get guys who throw 100 miles an hour and just hope they can figure it out along the way when they've never had that history. But he also had, he was injury-prone. I mean, I've seen some some games with Nathan Evaldi. We had, like, perfect games going into the seventh and stuff like that. He 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 could throw. I mean, yeah, he could pitch, but he didn't just throw. But he would just – sometimes he'd throw meatballs out there. That was the whole problem. He would throw meatballs that would get, that would get rocked out of the park. Well, there you go. So he, he didn't, he's just a thrower. Noah Syndergaard's becoming a, a true pitcher more than just a thrower. So great stuff for the Mets. Now I want to ask you something about the Mets lineup. Oh, sure. Um, what they've been doing with the likes of Jay Bruce, Curtis Granderson, and Lucas Duda are pretty interesting to me. So Curtis Granderson was pegged in as the cleanup guy to start the year. Jay Bruce actually got the, the cleanup spot for tonight, or for Sunday night. It worked out, hit a home run. And then Lucas Duda, by default, gets pushed to about seventh in the lineup, right? Does this make sense? Curtis Granders in the four and Luke and or Jay Bruce in the four and Curtis Granders in the five. And Lucas Duda in the seven feels better than Lucas Duda in the five hole and Curtis Granders in the seven. I don't want Curtis Granders in a cleanup anymore. I mean he's he I like someone who can hit consistently in the, in the in the batting cleanup. You don't want just someone who has the capability of hitting a home run. That's how it kinda used to be. But that's the only people the Mets have. No, I think they have some guys who can hit for average. I think Jay Bruce can hit for average. I think I think Suspettis can hit for average. Suspettis is pegged in the three slot. Like that's I, I think Suspettis is a three slot. Obviously, I put Jay Bruce in the four. Um, I think I think Curtis Granderson at this point in his career is probably a five six guy. Really, kind of in between there. I don't really know where I put him after that. Depends on who he has around him in the lineup. But I mean, you guys have you're in the National League. You have an eight man lineup. You should be able to you should be able to bat fifth there. But he's not he's not a good. Cleanup hitter. So does my mindset of for some reason Lucas Duda in the seven hole feels better than Granderson in the seven hole? Like I feel like Granderson in the seven hole does nothing for the team, but Duda batting seventh like feels like a strong point. It feels like a strong suit. I mean, Duda's, Duda's kind of a guy that you know what you're going to get. He's just going to he's going to do his thing. He's going to be very a little bit above average kind of. And I think he's kind of good to be in the seventh spot. I, I don't know. I think the Mets just have issues with their guys. They don't have the guys they need to fill the spots in the lineup. They need uh, they need just one or two people who can get on base a little more consistently. That's it. Because that, I mean, they have the power from top to bottom. Cabrera Cabrera could get on base too. I mean, he's a good on base guy. Yeah, I mean, Reyes Reyes is horrible so far this year. He has one hit so so far. Well, but Cabrera's been doing well. Uh, we obviously Cespedes, but then you know when you think about Bruce Granderson Duda to a lesser extent Neil Walker. Neil Walker's kind of a consistent. Consistent guy, you know what you're gonna get. Okay, All those other guys are just—they're just—they're power hitters who aren't beyond base that often, and it's kind of tough. Because yeah, the Mets you, obviously you need to spell your lineup a little bit. You can't just have power. What's the Mets' biggest weakness? What was it last year? What is it still? Um, I don't know. I, I personally would say 
it was it was a lot of blown uh, bullpen ga- uh, games. I mean, even with Familia, they, in, in big key moments, they blew a lot of bullpen uh, leads. See, I was going to say it's scoring runs. We hit a ton of home runs, the Mets, but on other nights where the home run ball is not flying, when you hit they the don't, same, yeah, when they don't the have run shots. production. Yeah, you're hitting a lot of solo shots. It doesn't really help your team as much. You need to be able to... And I see that with the Yankees. You need to be able to put together, you know, to kind of architect some runs every now and then. They don't really do that. They don't. And that's the Mets of old. This is kind of in the new team. I mean, there was there was like a decade long when the Mets had nobody who could hit a home run yeah. on the team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when they had a kid push, pull, uh, pulling in the fences every year at City Park for like a decade until they could, you know, have, have some people who could hit some home runs. Um, it's kind of weird. But they don't, they, I mean, I don't think Terry Collins is, I think Terry Collins is kind of just lucking out with his pitchers. He's not really a good manager. I don't think anybody would say he's a good manager. I don't really think he's very. He's like he's like a worse version of Ty Lu, where he just like you know what I mean, like because Ty Lu knows what he's doing. He just kind of gets bitched around. But uh, Terry Collins, Terry Collins, like everyone likes him. They they don't respect him. Yeah, they don't respect him. The players do not respect Terry Collins. I don't know. I don't. I don't see that. I don't see because he's an outside looking in guy from 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 me. I understand why you're saying that, but for my inside looking in or outside inside looking in, however you want to call it. Um, TMI Terry gets fired up just enough and actually calls his players out in the media just enough, like the right way. You I know? said for who, for what? <laughs> <laughs> when Hunt Hunting and Canty do those drops, I, I love it. I, that that was one. I, I remember listening to that live that that, that post game, and that was one of the funniest things I ever heard in my life. It's just it, it's so funny. <laughs> and if you don't know what we're talking about, just look up Terry Collins' best moments of post game press conferences. It's pretty good <laughs> stuff. But let's move on. We talked about the match. Talked about the Yankees. I want to talk about. The NBA MVP race is one of the hottest topics that exists right now in sports. And if you're going into basically any sports talk radio show, you got you got them talking about, is Russell Westbrook the MVP? Should James Harden win the MVP? Now these guys are facing off in the first round of the NBA playoffs. It's literally been a two-man race since about you know week three or four of the NBA season. And now with the NBA season ending this week, it's going to become a real, real debate where all the stats are in, all the games are done, the records are set in stone, the Rockets are a three seed, the Thunder are a six seed. Depending on who you ask, you got people who say, it's absolutely Russell Westbrook, there's no other way anybody should win the MVP. And then on the other hand, you have people saying, I don't really care about the triple doubles, he doesn't elevate his team, James Harden has elevated his team to a much higher level. I think it's James Harden. Well, if you if you ask James Harden, because he just said right now, uh, I thought winning was the most important thing in response to uh, uh, Russ's late um, run for MVP. So he uh, he's of that mindset where it's only it's winning. It's winning is, is the only thing that matters. If you're the guy who can take your team to, but he's not a one seed or a two seed. So I don't really think that that, that really plays. What do you think? Well, uh, the. The number goes that there hasn't been an NBA MVP in, I think the number's 45 years, that hasn't had over, uh, hasn't been from a 1-2 or 3 seed, and hasn't had over 55 wins or 50 wins or whatever the number is. And Russell Russell's team is below that threshold, basically. But I'm going to tell you something about James Harden. This is a man who, when Steph Curry won his first MVP, before the unanimous, unanimous one, James Harden's first year on the Rockets, he thought he was the MVP that year. So this has been... Three years in the making of James Harden thinking he's the best player in the league. And now, switched his game, got D'Antoni running him at point guard. He leads the league in assists. He elevated the game. 
of Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, Pat Beverly. Think about this. This is one of my arguments for James Harden. People try to say that the Rockets are just this better team than the Thunder, right? In my opinion, when was Ryan Anderson ever considered some great NBA player? When did Eric Gordon have a good season since he hasn't been injured every year for the past five years? Since when has Patrick Beverly been this big difference changer than other than getting under people's I don't want to give him credit for Eric Gordon. Eric Gordon always had a lot of talent. He just got hurt. and You can't, you can't say it's, it's uh, Harden's... Harden did that for him. He just didn't get hurt. Either. I'm not saying I'm not saying Harden did. All I was saying is that people try to make this argument that the Rockets are this way more talented team than the Thunder, and Russell's doing this with nobody on his team. If Stephen Adams was on the, on the Rockets, his numbers would be higher. It would be he would get more rebounds because you know Russ takes like you know Adams does dirty work for Russ to get a lot of rebounds often. Adams would be a stud on the Rockets. Clint Capella, who was was a nobody last year, who could hardly get on the court. Is now one of the you know a really successful center in the league because of James Harden. And granted, you could say the same thing about Stephen Adams with Russell Westbrook, but I don't think you can say that the Rockets are this by and large better team than the Thunder. And I think we're going to see that in round one of the playoffs that they're actually even matched. And other take James Harden and Russell Westbrook out of the picture. You look at Beverly, Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson, Clint Capella, um, Nene. Then look at the Thunder, Victor Oladipo. I would match him up with Eric Gordon 10 times out of 10. That's a fair, fair battle. Steven Adams, I'll put him above Clint Capella. Enos Cantor, he can't shoot like Ryan Anderson, but he rebounds better, and, you know, they're probably the same defender. Then you look at... Calm down, Pete. I'm just saying. I'm Calm trying down. to make a point here that where are the big differences in their team? Where is the big differences outside? Take James and Russell out. How different are the Rockets and Thunder? Not much. Well, it's, it's a coaching philosophy. That's the biggest difference in their team. I mean, that's actually that's a good point. Yeah, it's the, obviously the biggest difference in the teams. I mean, I don't think that's something that people will take into consideration. So maybe uh, D'Antoni's obviously. Really, the, I mean, everyone everyone can, uh, assume, uh, immediately associates D'Antoni with a high powered offense. I mean, that's what it is. And I mean, uh, Russ plays better defense than Harden does too. That's I'm, another thing to consider. I mean, nothing if, if you look at the system no- doesn't facilitate it either. If you look at the numbers for this year, they're the like numbers. very similar defenders by statistics. You but know, I don't look at numbers. Defensive statistics are like pretty weird at this point, still. You know, mm-hmm. so you know Russell. If you think about it, he's a better defender. But think about this. This is something I said to Paul, who's sitting over he's there. He's also like a legitimate player. Like he doesn't just like lean in. You see that? You see him flop when he didn't even get touched the other day, and then just fell on the floor. And then he talking about James Harden. Yeah, I did not see that, but oh, I could imagine. He got three shots out of it. He literally didn't get touched, and like delayed reaction for like. 20 seconds and then just got a foul for three shots. Now, you, you said you don't look at numbers, so I'll break it down for you and to any other of our listeners who don't look at numbers that often, right? You look at Russell Westbrook and James Harden's stats head-to-head, very similar. Maybe James Harden's a little better at effective field goal percentage and has a couple more uh, assists more per game. Russell Westbrook has two more rebounds per game, and other than that, you know, he averages two more points. It's one here, one there. Very similar stats. But the stat that you said that James Harden brought up after his last game isn't winning the big thing. Do you think when the voters come down to making their final vote that the winning aspect will make a big difference? I mean, I don't really know the, the, the history of basketball voting. Right. I, I can tell you in baseball, though, there's been a change in the philosophy. Um, Matt, Mike Trout won MVP. Um, Felix Hernandez won Cy Young a couple of years ago with having like 12 wins, which was always a thing. Um, and Rick Porcello won the Cy Young last year, and he was a horrible pitcher. So there was that too. So <laughs> um, 
I, I, I think there's a changing philosophy in, in other sports that maybe can carry over into basketball writers. They're not really hardos like uh, like baseball writers are and football writers are. So, I mean, it's true. And the, the changing philosophy in baseball is evident. And it's going to be really interesting to me. I, I, I want to preface this with – I want to say if Russell Westbrook wins the MVP, I'm not going to be upset about it. The guy deserves it. You'll totally be upset about it. I won't. You, you hate Russell Westbrook. You that's, that's false. That's completely false. I, I, I'm a big fan of Russell Westbrook's. If I had a vote, I would put James Harden 1 and Russell Westbrook 2. And that's changed from a couple weeks ago where I had Russell Westbrook maybe like 3 behind LeBron. Um, Grow but, Grow but no, I mean, you watch what the guy did. Do you think just because he did a, a – he, he completed a feat that has only happened once ever in the history of the NBA. And it hasn't happened in so many years since Oscar Robinson okay, did it. Okay, yeah. Does history automatically mean – most valuable player to you? Depends on what kind of history it is. On the when Miguel Cabrera won the triple crown for the first time in like 70 years, yeah, that you automatically win the MVP. That's essentially the same exact thing. It's that Winning the triple crown is essentially going, uh, averaging, Tri- a, triple averaging double. a triple double. And you gotta, you gotta love that. That's I mean, a pretty good comparison, actually. Yeah, I'm full of dope-ass comparisons. Get over it. Dope-ass comparisons. <laughs> that should be a segment. <laughs> It's the name of the pod. Welcome to Dope Ass... I don't even know what you said. Dope Ass Comparisons. Now, I don't know if my logic is sound. It seems sound to me. But like I said, I will not be upset if Russell Westbrook wins the MVP. He deserves to be... If he wins the MVP, he deserved it. He won it. He got it. All the voters gave gave it to him. I just would vote Harden and then Westbrook. Now, last thing I'm going to say to you, or I'm going to ask you actually... Who's your pick for the first series? Rockets versus Thunder. Uh, I'm going to take the Rockets. Yeah? Rockets, red glare. Bombs bursting in air. Keep <laughs> proof through the night that our flag was still there. That was a nice little tidbit you did for me there. What do you think is going to be the difference in, in the series? Um, I don't know. I think it's just a high-powered offense. I think it's that, that D'Antoni. I, I've said this before. D'Antoni's good when you first get D'Antoni. D'Antoni loses steam eventually, and then they'll eventually start hating him in, in, in Houston. Uh, but he has a lot of backing from the front office. He, he'll, yeah, he always does. I mean, that's what happened when he was on the Knicks. It's, di- it's different happened now. when he was on the Lakers. It's uh, different now, and I'll tell you why. Why? Mike D'Antoni was known for running this high-powered, shoot a lot of three, fast offense, eight seconds or less, this whole thing, right? At the same Now, at the same time, he was doing that because it was a style he liked. It was a style where he thought it was going to basically lead to the most points. It was going to be unstoppable, basically, right? <laughs> He didn't have numbers to back that up. The Rockets got him in to town, backing that up with statistics. So the most efficient places to score in a basketball court, the three-point line, near the hoop, and from the free-throw line. And that's exactly what D'Antoni's offense uh, inspires, right? So D'Antoni didn't have numbers to back up his offense before this. The Rockets brought him in and gave him the statistical evidence of what he was doing was actually correct this whole time. And he wasn't some madman uh, who just, like, did the eight seconds or less running gun, who cares what happened, shoot a ton of threes. Now there's little proof. The same thing that happened in baseball with on-base percentage, walks, you know, steals not being as important, strikeouts on the offensive end not being important. Basketball is just five years behind on same metrics, but it's in basketball now. And D'Antoni didn't have the numbers. The Rockets gave it to him. All right, well, I, I, I mean, I... I... I mean that was really that was a case for D'Antoni coach of the year, but yeah, I, was just I mean I did say that I think they're going to win this series. I think they'll lose the next series. Uh, who would they end up playing? Who? What does the seeding look like? 
They would play the Winter Spurs. Oh. The Spurs. I mean, if the Spurs lose to the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies, but it'll be the Spurs probably. Okay. Yeah, the Spurs will beat them. Pretty interesting though. The Spurs will beat them handily, I think. Like not by score, but by games won. You know, like they'll probably win three to one. Or, uh, but like you know, close like in between ten point games. Absolutely, it's pretty interesting though that the most exciting series of the playoffs may be Rockets Thunder in, in Week One. It'll be. Remember when we thought the Pelicans were going to be playing the Warriors in Week One? <laughs> that that shit hit the fan. <laughs> Remember when I said that that was a good trade for the Pelicans? I mean for the uh, for the Kings, and I was right. I gotta give you credit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw you some props on that one. You were the only person I think I I heard across all medium that said that was a win for the Kings. Yeah, I knew it. And they're going to get two lottery picks out of it. Yeah. That's that's crazy. And the Pelicans are just going to be miserable again, I think. Yeah. Unless they really, really start to figure it out. Which they did more as it went, but... Boogie is a cancer to a team. I said as soon as it happened, uh, the Kings got rid of that cancer. And now they're going to uh, they're gonna have two lottery picks and a really deep draft that they can build off of. Now they need a good coach. They don't have a good coach. Who, the Kings? Yeah. They do have a good coach. David Yeager. You think he's good? Yeah, I mean, he took Based the... what? He had 28 different players play on the Grizzlies last year, and he had them in the playoffs. That's a ridiculous number of that's people. Fair. It's more than 26. <laughs> that's very not wrong. Yeah. Very not wrong. But we're pretty much here at the end, 45 minutes. All right, good. Uh, last thing I just want to say before we go, uh, uh, I'm going to Yankees home opener tomorrow. Today. To today, yeah, future now, that whole thing. Uh, but I'm watching, Michael Pineda is going to be the starting pitcher, so I can guarantee you I'll be watching a loss and I'll be very angry. And I'll have a lot to talk about in the next podcast. So I look forward to you being angry. I'm looking forward to Pinata getting crushed again. But that's all we got here today for the Sports Blog New York podcast. I'm Peter Kennedy. I'm Alec. If you like what you've been hearing, leave a rating and review on iTunes and Google Play. And we have another podcast coming up in the end of the week. Probably will be on Wednesday, but stay tuned for that on the Sports Blog New York.com Twitter at Sportblog NYC. Other than that, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Like, subscribe.